As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, The Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekel, joined as always by my friend and colleague Paul Tenorio. Paul, for the first time in four years, we have a U.S. Men's National Team World Cup qualifying roster. We are recording on Thursday morning. The roster just dropped a few minutes ago. 26 players called up to play at El Salvador next Thursday against Canada on September 5th and at Honduras on September 8th couple of big news items. Pulisic, Christian Pulisic, he makes the roster despite contracting COVID-19 last week. He is still in isolation in the UK. He's scheduled to come out of that here in the next couple of days. If everything goes well, he'd be able to travel to Tennessee on the weekend in time for the opening of camp. Usual suspects, Tyler Adams, Weston McKenney, Gio Reyna, and then one real big newcomer, Ricardo Pepe, the 18-year-old FC Dallas homegrown striker, an American and Mexican dual citizen who played for both the U.S. and Mexico on the youth levels, has been called up and has accepted the call-up. Um, he's got a couple of quotes out there, basically you know, indicating that, yeah, he's committed to the U.S. men's national team. I'll just read it because I, I think it's a pretty cool quote. He told this to fcdallas.com. I want to start by saying that I am a Mexican-American, that I am super proud of my heritage. It's something that I, that will never be taken away from me, no matter what national team I play for. I made this decision because I felt the USA trust me, and I think that's due to Greg Berhalter and how he emphasized this to me. I had good talks with Greg, and I feel I can make an impact with the USA and help the national team really do something special now and in the future. Um, 
so Paul, I mean, what, what are the big reactions? We have a piece out on the athletic already here, um, just kind of breaking down the roster position by position, but what, what are your kind of top level reactions? And then we can get into that positional breakdown and go through it, um, by line, line by line. Well, I think for me, I want to start with Pepe, um, because I think that quote you just read is a really important one, and especially the beginning of it. Um, when he says, I am a Mexican American, that's my heritage and nothing's going to change that. You know, not even the national team I play for. And, you know, I, I put this out on Twitter yesterday, but I think it's an important note to remember. Choosing a national team doesn't mean saying you feel more one way or the other. It's the only place in life, or at least the only thing I can think of, where a person is forced to choose between two aspects of their identity as part of their profession. That's the only reason that they have they have to do it because they have to do it, Right. It doesn't mean that you feel more American or more Mexican if you choose one or the other or whatever other countries you want to put in there as a dual national. And I think that's really important to remember because it's such a complicated idea, identity and cultural identity, national identity, um, what it means to play for those countries, the pressures you face, the loyalties that your family have or the way you were raised, where you were raised, how you were raised – all of those things factor in and it's yeah. it's incredibly difficult to then take all of these complicated, complicated ideas and emotions and connections and feelings and, you know, politics and the things you go through in your day-to-day life and that yeah. your parents go through and then have to make a decision to play for one country or the other and have a large group of people say, you know, that that means you feel more X or more Y. So I just want to make sure I emphasize that quote again to to really hammer home what he says there. And good for him at 18 years old to be able to find the way to say that and the confidence to say that out loud to to let people know, hey, this is what it means to me. It doesn't mean this. Um, so I just want to start there. Um, as far as the roster itself, my big takeaway is I don't think there's a huge amount of surprise. This window was always going to be a little bit trickier because it's the very beginning of the European season. And this roster is so heavily European based that there were going to be some players who just hadn't played enough in Europe for whatever reason. And there were multiple players on this roster or not on this roster, I should say, who either had an injury that's that have kept them from playing regularly or knocked them out or have a complicated club situation that has that has kept them off the field and 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 thus kept them off this roster. And so when I look at two of the bigger surprise or three of the bigger surprises not on this team, uh, Matthew Hoppy, Reggie mm-hmm. Cannon, and Chris Richards, all three of them have club situations that are complicated and have kept them off the field regularly and thus have kept them out of this group for these set of qualifiers. Hoppy hasn't played since the Gold Cup final. Um, Reggie Cannon still has not played yet for Boa Vista as he looks for a move abroad. And Chris Richards is at Bayern Munich still has made it known. He'd like to go to Hoffenheim. You know, Bayern is looking for the best possible deal that they can get. And I think that hurt him in a, a, a more crowded center back field than we've had. So that yep. is my big kind of higher level takeaway is, you know, there aren't a ton of surprises when you actually look at who's been playing and who hasn't, who's injured and who's not you kind of land on a, a pretty obvious roster for these qualifiers. I don't know. Paul, we did a prediction piece and it's not like we got a hundred percent of the predictions, right? So like, let's not, let's but we not acknowledged be... a lot of these misses. Like I, we acknowledged sure. Chris Richards. I think you had Chris Richards in. I had him out. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, we Reggie, both we both had Reggie Cannon in despite his club situation and Shaq Moore, mm-hmm. but we we wrote in in the predictions that both of course both no, of those players hadn't hadn't it's been playing. You know, but I think to frame it as oh these are obvious no surprises, I don't know if I totally agree. With I'm that not saying obvious no surprises. I'm saying that the answers are clear as to why they're not there. Like when you right. do a little bit yes. of analysis, the, log- the logic is there. Yeah, right. yeah, no, hundred um, percent. A few things did surprise me. Um, not so much, well, George Bellow, I didn't really think was going to be in the mix. Uh, the Atlanta United left back 19 years old. He gets the call. Um, his, he, he was with the team at the gold cup, but you know, he didn't play as much as Sam Vines at that tournament. Um, but he gets the nod ahead of Vines who of course recently moved from Colorado to Belgium and hasn't had the smoothest start over there. I was a little bit surprised that, that Berhalter only called five central midfielders as well. Um, so we have that group. We have Kellen Acosta. We have Tyler Adams. We have Sebastian Lechette, Weston McKenney, and Christian Roldan. Um, I thought there would be six there. Um, but in that prediction piece that I just referenced, you know, we, we named 28 players. Berhalter only called 26. Um, so that's part of it. And then, you know, the other surprise to me was Hoppy. Um, I wasn't as high on him as a lot of people were coming out of the gold cup. He had some cool moments. Um, he seems hilarious. Uh, he wore that t-shirt with the picture of Burhalter's face on it to the post final after party. <laughs> um, he's clearly got a lot of personality. Uh, he didn't make the best decisions on the field all the time. And he put the U S in a couple of really dangerous, bad spots, uh, in, in some knockout round games. So, you know, and, and his club situation, of course, as you mentioned, Paul, I think you mentioned sh- him him at Schalke and he's looking for a move away as well and hasn't played um that complicates things for him yeah. um, so Schalke, yeah, Schalke's things- manager came out I think today or yesterday and said he wasn't close to match fit yet so I think that made it yeah a pretty obvious answer as to why he wasn't yeah. selected and but Sam to your point I think if you you know both of us I think it was you that said to me yesterday or the other day when we were doing the predictions piece like Man, that's a lot of wingers you've got on this thing because we did a 28-man roster, you yeah. know? So yeah. I think it makes sense that some of the guys are missing. When you take two off, it seems like it's not that big of a deal, but it does make a big difference in who you pick and why you pick them. You yeah, know, for the, sure. the extra fullback you take off because you've got cover, you know, you start yeah. to like be a little bit more um strategic in 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 that those areas yeah you have if you have fewer bodies you got to get more out of the ones that you have right so before we before we go any further here let's actually go through the entire roster which we've gotten almost 10 minutes into the show and haven't done yet (laughs) Um, and then we can kind of go through and do the position by position breakdown and and be a little organized for once in our damn lives paul um three goalkeepers no surprises here ethan horvath zach stefan matt turner i'm just doing these alphabetically folks uh the defenders george bellow john brooks serginio dest mark mckenzie tim ream anthony robinson miles robinson james sands deandre yedlin and walker zimmerman Midfielders, central midfielders, Kellen Acosta, Tyler Adams, Sebastian Legette, Weston McKenney, and Christian Roldan. Forwards slash wingers, Brendan Aronson, Conrad De La Fuente, Jordan Pifak, Ricardo Pepe, Christian Pulisic, Gio Reyna, Josh Sargent, and Tim Weah. All right. So let's just go. Let's just run it down back to front. We'll start with the easiest one. Goalkeepers. Super, super straightforward here. Yeah, I mean, we knew who this was going to be, who who was going to be here. What we we I think pretty sure that Zach Steffen's going to be the starter. I think Matt Turner certainly has made a claim that he can be a number one. He's probably the most informed goalkeeper. Not probably he is because he's been playing regularly yeah. for the Revs, whereas Zach Steffen has one game um, for Man City so far. 
he played well in that game, by the way. He was a very good shot stopper in that game, which is, uh, I think, the number one criticism of Zach Steffen, that he's not a good enough shot stopper. Is that a criticism of him? Yeah, it is criticism that I've seen. Um, and <laughs> I think that, um, but I think that he will be the starter. I, I, and I would assume he'll be the starter for all three games, but maybe not. Maybe that's the one and twist you could throw in there. I don't know. I wouldn't be shocked if Turner got a game. Um, but, you know, it sort of depends how Stefan performs, right? Like, I think they're probably pretty close uh, in terms of Burhalter's mind. Maybe I'm wrong there. I agree with you that Stefan will start. But, but everything Turner has done this summer has been pretty fantastic, whether it's with the Revs or the Gold Cup or even in the All-Star game last night when he's saving penalties left and right <laughs> against Liam X to win the shootout. Um, you know, the guy is playing with a, like just a little bit of confidence right now. Um, so I wouldn't be shocked if he got a game, um, but I agree with you. I think Stefan will be the number one heading into camp, and unless something weird happens, I think he'll probably get all three. Um, so yeah, that's... Like like we said, the most straightforward straightforward of the position groups, Horvath, you know, obviously he came in and, and did a really good job in the Nations League final in substitute duty after Stefan got hurt. Um, he has not cemented the starting role at Nottingham Forest uh, since he moved there this summer. He's, he's been the backup, although he got a game in cup action. Uh, right now, to me, he's pretty clearly the number three. Um, moving on, center backs, five of them, John Brooks, Mark McKenzie, Tim Ream, Miles Robinson. James Sands and Walker Zimmerman. That's actually six. I should learn how to count. Um, Paul, thoughts on my counting skills and thoughts on this group of players? Your counting skills um, is as suspect as your ability to interpret whether I am grouping Switzerland into Scandinavia geographically or into their tier as a European league. Which is I mean, that has to do with good. your with with your inability to speak good. I think. Yeah, well, that's we know I don't me. speak good on this show, but that's a you thing, man. <laughs> um, I look at this group and I, I think it's the same thing that I, I, I said to you the other, the other day to justify why I wasn't keeping Chris Richards on my prediction sheet, which is I think Greg Berhalter in the first round of qualifiers was going to lean on guys that were quote unquote battle tested. And the big debate I had was, do you still count as battle tested if you didn't really pass the test? Yeah. If you failed the test. And I think, I don't want to say that Mark McKenzie failed the test. He was poor in the first half. He didn't get an A. League. And then he, yeah, he definitely didn't get an A. But he he did respond, and he did bounce back and play better. And he is um, a talented player. And he's yeah. not going to start, right? The starters, I think, are very clear. John Brooks and Miles Robinson. And I think when we look at squad rotation, I think center back will be a place that we rotate, that the U.S. rotates. Um, I think you'll see um, Tim Ream probably start a game. I think you'll see Walker Zimmerman start a game. Or maybe James Sands. But I, I don't think Perhaps. Mark McKenzie will, will start. A game in this hmm. qualification cycle. Maybe I'm I don't wrong. know. I think I think I would put him ahead of Sands on that depth chart. Um, you yeah, know, I mean, like I said, I think Reem different athletic profile than probably, Reem. Probably, you know. Um, we'll see. I don't know. It, it would kind of be a nice story to start Zimmerman in Nashville, where he plays his club ball. Uh, but I don't know if you really want to do that against Canada no. and the attackers that they have. Um, I think you want to stick with Brooks and, and Miles Robinson in that one. So um, that third game out of Honduras, though, we'll see. And who knows, man? We could see a three-center-back formation at some point in this camp. So that would obviously change the calculus there. I'm, I wasn't really expecting Sands to get called up. Um, that surprised me a little bit. I don't have any problem with it. I'm a fan of his. I think he's a really good, versatile player. He can obviously play. Uh, defensive midfield in a pinch if if he's needed there, although you have a couple of 
very good options there already. Um, so, you know, a little bit of extra, uh, positional flexibility with him in the group. Um, but an interesting thing to me here, Paul, is Miles Robinson is really shot up the depth chart here. Um, just from the start of the gold cup to now really in the last two months, he's enjoyed a really good year with Atlanta United. Um, he was excellent in the gold cup and, you know, but if you had gone into before that tournament, before the nation's league, before this summer started, you know, this is a guy who was kind of on the full national team radar. Atlanta declined to let him go for the Olympic qualifying tournament. Um, he certainly wasn't a lockdown starter for the first choice group. Um, what do you think of his rise here over the last couple of months? I think he was somebody that they wanted to have this rise. Their their plan for him on the Olympic team didn't come together because Atlanta refused to call up. And at that point, they could have brought... At that Sorry point, about that. <laughs> at, at that point, they could have brought him in. That was a Charlotte FC paperweight that they sent me like a year ago that I just dropped. Unbelievable, yeah. Sam. Um no, I, I think they wanted Miles Robinson to emerge as the starter. Once Aaron Long was lost, and I think over the last few friendly windows, we kind of saw some of the weaknesses at the center back position. Um, there, there was a lack of athleticism. There was a lack of ability to defend in space. And I think that Miles Robinson's biggest strength is his ability to defend in space one-on-one. You know, he's left alone a lot in Atlanta United. He's always kind of been the guy who can put out fires for them. And yeah. that's what he did with the national team. And, you know, the knock on Miles Robinson has always been his ability to play out of the back. And I think he's improving there. And yeah, that I was really, time, really, really important for him to show that he could be functional on the ball. And and that was what was the most important thing to come out of Gold Cup. I think he emerged as an incredibly well-rounded center back and not just a guy who could put out fires. Though, I think, and I, we wrote this in our piece today, his ability to put out fires is is most important now because you have a lot of fires that are being lit by Serginio Dest's kind of uh, lack of, or, it's, you know, it's flammable out there. Yeah. It's a, it's a bit flammable when you're playing next to Sergio <laughs> Dest. And so that's a really important quality to have. And I think that's why we've seen the selections at fullback that we saw um, yeah. is that, you know, they're going to play Dest at right back just so he can be next to a center back who can handle himself in space in one-on-one and one V two situations a lot. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, Robinson, I think is one to keep an eye on for a potential sale as well here within the next six to 12 months. It's looking late, late in the game for this window. Um, but maybe the, maybe in the winter, maybe next summer, that would not be surprising at all. You mentioned Serginho Dest. That's a natural transition into the fullbacks group, which there are four. I double checked. I counted correctly this time. So you have Dest who can play, of course, on the right or the left. Uh, you have Anthony Robinson and George Bello who are left backs. And then an old familiar face, DeAndre Yedlin, one of the one of just six players with experience in World Cup qualifiers on this roster um, at right back. So you mentioned you see Dest on the right. I agree with you for the most part. Um, I think that's going to be a very, very interesting proposition, though, when you get to that Canada game. Because when you get to that Canada game, who does Canada have on the left side? Alfonso Davies. May have heard of him. Former Vancouver Whitecap. He's, do- he's done okay for Bayern Munich since he moved over there. Uh, after in January 2019, he's he's been all right. Um, he's a nightmare to defend on that left side. I don't. Dest obviously faces top players week in week out, and especially in Champions League when he's with Barcelona. 
I'm not sure I'm feeling comfortable with him going up in one-on-one battles against Alfonso Davies. Or more, I, I think more appropriately, I'm not sure I feel comfortable with him and his defensive positioning and discipline against Alfonso Davies. And maybe we see him on the left for that Canada game, and maybe Yedlin comes in for the start in Nashville. But yeah, uh, that's sort of the the granular take. What's what's the broad take on these fullbacks? Yeah, I, I, first of all, I think that leads you to that big old question of, do you want to take and force yourself onto an opponent, make them make adjustments, or do you adjust to them? I think Alfonso Davies is the type of player where you have to adjust to Alfonso Davies. It's not about changing who you are because of the team sometimes you have to change what you do because a player is so special and Alfonso Davies ability in transition and Serginio Dest's you know lack of discipline in, in getting back um, defensively after he attacks I think is, is probably a, a mix you don't want so I agree with you there are some just decisions to be made there whether it's Yedlin you know maybe it's either just kind of a rotation with Tyler Adams uh, specifically in that game I don't know. I don't think, we, there, there I don't think be, we see Tyler No, no, no. I'm not saying as a right back. I'm saying like a okay. defensive rotation where, you know, he is specifically told that you d- do not do anything but to rotate to that side if yes. Serginio is playing yes. there. Um, I, I think there will be an adjustment um, for that. I, I agree. Bello kind of surprised me. Um, Sam Vines, his move to Antwerp um, probably impacted this decision. Um, he, he has played a game there. He didn't play especially well. Um, he played just, against he mixed discord a, a move um yeah Talk Paul, about why are former, why are we uh, asking the question do we, need to, do we need to have a conversation about mixed discord in the u.s men's national team by the way look why aren't we asking the hard-hitting questions there about aren't why that many Discarude former world cup number 10s usa world cup number 10s playing in europa league qualifiers who aren't being no. discussed to bring no, up a point aren't. of people yelling at us about there julian green why yeah. not why not mixed discord why not yeah, step up your game, Twitter psychos. Sam, your answer <laughs> to that mixed disc group question must be delivered in poem form. In a in a haiku. Haiku. Um, I don't got it. I can't freestyle haiku. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I think people mostly know that I haven't been the highest on Anthony Robinson in his national team appearances. I still mm-hmm. am not. He's been good for Fulham this year. They played yeah, in the championship, I mean, he's, but he's been good. He's been good. He's a good championship left back. I mean, the scouting report on him in the championship before Fulham went up. Uh, before he moved to Fulham last year when they went up and then immediately came back down was that he was the one of the best left backs in the championship. So um, no surprise that he's already got a goal for Fulham in the championship. I expect him to have a really strong year there. It's not a really strong left back depth chart. And when you move Serginio Dest to right back, I think this is this is what you've got. You've got Anthony Robinson as the best left back in the pool. And you've mm-hmm. got Sam Vines and George Bellow and Kevin Paredes fighting for that left back spot. Maybe Joe Scally's ability to switch to the left side starts to impact things eventually, but yeah. Um yeah. this early you know, days for Scally. Yeah. Once you move Des to the right, this is this was kind of a you know a, a given, I think, Anthony Robinson at left back. Yeah, for sure. Um let's move up a line. Get into the midfield. We have we have five of these. Again, I double checked. I'm very careful now about my counting. Um Kellen Acosta, Tyler Adams, Sebastian Lejet, Weston McKenney and Christian rolled on three of these. I think no one will have any complaints about, and that's Adams, Acosta and McKenney. And then the other two legit and rolled on are sure to get a segment of the USMNT fan base screaming. Um, even though I don't really think that's necessarily fair. Uh, what do you think about this group? I was a little surprised that there were only five. Yeah. I mean, this is certainly, this is a place we both had six in our predictions. Uh, we brought Williamson who's not here um, on this group. 
I agree. I don't think there are a ton of surprises. You know, you look at it, you think, okay, Craig Berhalter is saying we have three wingers who can all play as central midfielders if needed. Um, James Sands. James well. Sands can play as a midfielder if needed. So that's why you, you bring fewer people here. Um, Kellen Acosta actually has more World Cup qualifying appearances than John Brooks does. I think there are only two people on this <laughs> roster who have more World Cup qualifying appearances than Kellen Acosta. Um, Christian Pulisic has 13. I think Tim Ream is tied. I said this to you earlier. Am I right on that? Um, I don't remember. Kellen Acosta has six. Six <laughs> World Cup qualifying appearances. So That's, Brooks doesn't even have six he's got qualifying four. appearances? He's got four because he had injury That's, issues. So... Um, look, I, I, that experience matters. So uh, I think, you know, we, we, I've kind of debated what's that midfield trio going to look like for the first game and the second game. Do you, you know, you know, Tyler Adams, you know, Weston McKinney, is it going to be Kellen Acosta or is it going to be Sebastian Legette? I can make justifications for either one. I think on the road in El Salvador, I would not be surprised to see Kellen Acosta start that game. Um, and then, you know, I, I really, could see a game like maybe Canada where you're trying to be a little bit more assertive. You know, maybe you go with Brendan Aronson or Christian Pulisic or Gio Reyna playing inside next yep. to Weston McKenney and you go with a more attacking oriented lineup. Um, especially it depends on, I guess, on how much you're limiting Christian Pulisic's minute, minutes coming off of COVID. Um, but, you know, that's, that's how I see it. I, I'm not super surprised here just because of the versatility of the roster that he kept five only. Yeah, no, it's it's a fair point. Um, I just want to give a shout out to Kellen Acosta. You know, I talked about how good of a summer Matt Turner has had. It's rivaled by the summer that Acosta has had. Him and Legette, I think, are the only two players on this roster that were on both the Nations League and the Gold Cup squads. And Acosta was excellent in the Gold Cup, particularly as that number six. You know, we talked before, I think on this show, Paul, about how Tyler Adams is the most irreplaceable player in in the US player pool because there's nobody like him and that position's so important and we're not sure anyone else can play there. Kellen Acosta showed in the Gold Cup that he can play there, right? And, and yeah, Tyler Adams is a different level. Um he's still pretty irreplaceable, but I feel a lot better about that position now than I did even a month and a half ago before the Gold Cup started. Um and that's because of Acosta. Um I like his mentality, I like his ability, I like his athletic profile. Um, and if you start a midfield of Acosta, Adams, and McKenney, that'll be a fun midfield to play with, man. Like those guys are going to be flying around, all three of them. Uh, they're all they're all good on the ball. They're all they're all really good at kind of driving forward on the ball. And I think it could be a pretty vertical, pretty direct, pretty fast paced team. Um, it's not going to be the most possession oriented. I think it's fair to say. Um, but if you want to play a quick up and down transition game, uh, I think those two. Those three could do some serious damage. I, I think we'll see those three start against El Salvador. Um, and, and I would be excited to see that one. A lot of people will hate on the rolled on call, call up too. Another player, he was not really on the radar like at all. Like there were questions about whether or not he would even get called to the Gold Cup. Uh, he did. Uh, he didn't play a ton of minutes at that tournament, but the minutes he got off the bench were super effective. And he was a guy, I think it was against Jamaica in the quarterfinals. He came in and, and pretty much completely changed the game. Uh, he can line up in central midfield. He can line up on the wing. He can contribute in possession. He's a really honest defender. He's a hard worker. Um, good guy to have in the group. I don't expect to see him get a ton of minutes. Um, but we do have a potential brother-on-brother -brother international matchup, Paul. 
with him and his brother, Alex, who plays for El Salvador. And I don't think they've announced their roster yet, but it'd be pretty shocking if he wasn't on it. So I, I want to uh, say two things just based on what you just said. First, um, I want to first go back to the caps things. The the most World Cup qualifying experience, Christian Pulisic, 13 caps, DeAndre Yedlin at 10. Then Acosta and Reem both have six, Brooks at four, Legette at one. So only six players who have World Cup qualifying experience, and there's the ranking of it. Um, but speaking to um, Christian Roldan, um, I, if people haven't listened to Bobby Warshaw's podcast with Greg Berhalter um, that U.S. Soccer does, they should. They should. Um, yeah. And coming off of the Gold Cup final, he talked about Christian Roldan's role with the team and that they used the Gold Cup to really, uh, and the Nations League, to really kind of tinker and play with how to use substitutions um, because of the new expanded sub rules and how subs can change games and how t- types of substitutions can change games, how you can change the way you play and how you may be looking at it, how another team looks and what their bench looks like and how much they use their bench. And you kind of plan to have one style of play kind of grinding it out, grinding the other team down and then switch things up with certain players late in the game yeah. And, and that Christian Roldan fit that role really well. And, and that Greg Berhalter was like, I, I know it sucked to tell Christian Roldan he wasn't starting in the final. And then I had to tell him like, you're not starting in the final because you're really valuable to me. And like, he was like, I'm sure, you know, as a former player, Roldan's <laughs> probably sitting there like rolling his eyes, rolling his yeah. eyes, like, you know, get the hell out of here. But like, he was like, but I was serious, you know, and I was like, I acknowledge that this sounds ridiculous, but we have a plan for you that we think will help us win the game. Yeah. And and so knowing that and hearing that quote from Greg um, helps to understand kind of where he might be picturing Roldan with this team, how he can come off the bench in different types of roles and change the way the team plays. And yeah. there was another quote, and I believe it was the episode before that coming off of the Nations League. It uh, might have been, though, the Gold Cup uh, episode as well, where Bobby Warshaw asked about how the role of the number six under Burhalter has changed in the three years of his coaching, 1920 and 21. Um, and that, you know, he's kind of moved away from the Will Trap, Michael Bradley, number six, more toward the Tyler Adams, Kellen Acosta style of number six. And Burhalter acknowledged that, that that was true, but he also noted. Did he, did he ever move away from it? He just didn't have Adams. Well, yeah. Well, yes. He brought up that point. He's only really had Tyler yeah. with Christian and Weston twice, actually. Um, and and even in Nations League, he was not available for the entire time. He only came off the bench against Mexico in the final late, you know, um, because he was injured for that one as well. Um, but you know, he said, "Look, there are still going to be moments where I want to play with a, a number six who can control the game and the tempo." To your point, Sam, maybe there's a game where they want to have more possession. You know, you said maybe that trio isn't the best possession trio. Well, that's where I think a player like James Sands matters. You know, you can you can bring Sands up into the number six role if you want to try to control a game late. And I I, I just think that Greg Berhalter has shown a tendency to like those deeper lying pivot players where you're 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 playing everything through their feet. They're looking for those long diagonals. I think you can They're ask pinging those Adams passes. To do that, though. I think you can ask him to do that Adams as well. That, I'm not Adams saying he's not capable, bag. but in these yeah. windows where you're playing triple game windows and you're rotating, that if there's a game where they feel like they're home against El Salvador and it's the second half and they have a lead and they want to knock the ball a little bit, well, that's a moment where maybe James Sands can come in. I just thought it was an interesting quote that 
he's still thinking about that style of six and when to utilize it and where to utilize it and with the long the long diagonal six not i mean not just that but the guy who's become you know who is the fulcrum off of which you know the the team kind of works Um, i I think adams is that i don't know if that's the right way to use fulcrum I, i once wrote a column about that and and I had a real debate with somebody about the use of the term fulcrum, and yet I come back to it here. Um, it sounds right to throwback me. Throwback to but my But I, I do think days. Adams can be that, by the way. And I oh. do think he will be that. I mean, so I, I, I don't know. I agree. It's I mean, just, I, again, this, this goes down to – this isn't about personnel as much as it's about – Options. Options, style of number six, what you ask that six to do, and the fact that considering Tyler Adams' history – he talked about how much he is irreplaceable. Well, if if he is out and you want a style that is more or possession oriented, I think James Sands gives you an option there that yeah, maybe wasn't there before. It's a different club in the bag for sure. Uh quickly here, going to the wingers. Uh Brennan Aronson, Conrad de la Fuente. Interesting name there. Christian Pulisic, Gio Reyna, and Tim Weah. Five of those. Obviously, the big question here is what is Pulisic's availability? He's Still in isolation in the UK, as mentioned. Uh, he'll hopefully be coming out of that, I believe, on Saturday and then flying to the States. But he hasn't trained since last Wednesday uh, in a group setting anyway. I'm sure he's doing workouts at home. But what's his fitness like? Um, is he going to be ready to go right away? Is he having to knock off any rust? It's not a super long layoff, but it is a layoff. Um, so we'll see. That's the big question. None of us know the answer to that one. Um, thoughts on the rest of this group, though, Paul? Some some really intriguing names. This is probably my favorite of the uh, USMNT position groups, personally. I mean, Conrad De La Fuente breaking into the World Cup qualifying team after being at neither the Nations League nor Gold Cup. Um, obviously, he had a club situation that he had to deal with in the summer. Um, Burhalter made some choices based on that. He didn't make the cut for the Nations League. And now here he is after a strong start with Marseille. Um, so props to him, you know, for, for showing off, showing up um, in his new club, showing showing well and doing enough to break into this team. Um, for me, I think the most interesting player on this roster is Brendan Aronson. Because yeah. I think Brendan Aronson is a starter for the national team, but he doesn't really have a place to start because you're not going to knock yeah. Christian Pulisic out of the lineup. You're not going to knock Gio Reyna out of the lineup. And so, you know, and I do think that there will be games in this qualifying cycle where the U.S. should be on the front foot, should be attacking oriented. And in those games, I think you can have a line of Aronson, Pulisic and Reyna, any of the three can play on the wing. Any of the three can play inside, you know, and I, I think we should see that at some point because I think Brendan Aronson deserves it. But I also think he has an ability to really change the game as a substitute. He's shown that. He's been fantastic for Salzburg. He scored two goals in their Champions League qualifying series against Bromby. He's 20 years old. He's only getting better and better. Um, I think he's a fantastic player already. And I think he's going on to to much bigger things here in the not too distant future. So I, I agree with what you're saying. I don't know if we see that front three in this round of games. Um, we'll see. Maybe the Honduras game. Um, I don't think, like, I, I don't know. I I think Aronson might start in El Salvador just, just so Pulisic can, can kind of get his feet underneath him. Um, but, you know, Canada, I don't know if you start that front three against them. Um, Honduras on the road. Maybe if you win the first two and you're feeling good about yourself, maybe you go out there in that sort of posture down in Honduras. But 
going on the road is tough in this, especially when, when you have inexperienced guys who have never really done it before. Um, but curious to see how these, this group is utilized and curious to see if De La Fuente can kind of break through here and get minutes with, with the, with the A team, so to speak. Um, yeah. Anything else on the No, Warriors? I mean, I agree with you. I think, look, it's a blessing to have Aronson playing the way he is because in these triple windows, you're going to need to rotate the squad. Yes. So you now yes. have three starters for two positions. And yes, you can play all three at once. But in a window like this, to your point with Christian, you know, not question marks on his fitness. Now you don't need to worry as much because of what Aronson brings yeah. to the fold. Such a luxury. And I think that's going to continue to play out as we go through um, this qualification cycle. And I think De La Fuente and Weyab, they both bring different aspects to the winger position. Um, you know, way is a little bit more vertical. Um, Conrad de la Fuente likes to come inside combine. I think they've really worked hard on trying to convince him to provide more service into the box and, um, you know, to be, um, as goal dangerous as possible. Um, but you have to be happy if you're a U.S. men's national team player, and you're looking at this it's winger crazy. position yeah. right now, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's great. Um, the next position is where you start to see the impact of injuries and the lack of a depth chart. Yeah, for sure. And that's striker. You have Jordan Pifak, Ricardo Pepe, and Josh Sargent. Obviously, Giassi Zardis out with a hamstring. Uh, Daryl DK, he's been out since the Gold Cup with a shoulder injury and some tendonitis. And Matthew Hoppy, who, of course, can play on the wing and played on the wing in the Gold Cup. Um, his natural position is striker. He hasn't played. We mentioned his fitness concerns. Um, so, yeah, a group that's pretty decimated and a group that's pretty thin to begin with even before those injuries come in. I think Sargent's pretty clearly the starter, but I'm really, really curious to see if Pepe gets a run out in one of these games. He's got nine goals and one assist in MLS this season. I think he's got 20 appearances. Just to sort of add on to what you were saying off the top of the show, kind of about his heritage and his feelings. One of the interesting elements, he grew up in El Paso, Texas, with family across the border in Ciudad Juarez, who he went and he visited every week. Um, So he grew up in a border town. Right. And I think that kind of, I, I don't know. I don't know this. I, I haven't heard him speak about it. Um, he has spoken about being from El Paso and having, having his family in Juarez and having that Mexican heritage and being really proud of it. Um, but I do wonder if that experience where you're sort of already living in both worlds, right? Like extra, extra, because you're on the border and you're living it every single day. Um, I wonder if that kind of, I mean, I'm sure it informed his decision, right? Because it's his life. But I wonder if that kind of equipped him to kind of make this uh, a little bit more decisively. Anyway, that's a different topic for a different day. I am curious to see if he can uh, if he can jump in and get some run with the national team. And with only three strikers, I probably think all of them are gonna play. Jordan Pifak, he's got a ton of minutes on his under his belt already this summer for young boys with in the Swiss league and and in Champions League qualifiers. Um, he's done pretty well. Um, but he's got a lot of mileage on there, so he might he might have to be rested a bit. Um, so we'll see. I don't know. This group a lot to prove for all three of these guys. I think we're. I think because of that point you brought up about Pifok, we're going to see Pepe, and I think we yeah. could see him start a game in this in this round. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if all three of them start. He, he could. I think Pifok is kind of built to be a, a late sub in the first two games. Um, certainly against El Salvador, his ability in the air is going to factor in, but I don't think he can start because he's coming off of three games, four games, five games in the last, let's see, six games in his previous three and a half weeks. Um, yeah. You know, a lot, a lot of minutes put on his legs because of those Champions League qualifiers. He's already played 647 minutes in the last five weeks. 
you know, they, they, they can't start it's a lot of minutes. in El Salvador. So I think Sargent will get the start. I wouldn't be surprised if PFOC comes in off the bench because of his ability in the air. That That's an area the U.S. should be taking advantage of against El Salvador. But that opens up a real question mark about Pepe because you're not, you're probably not going to start Sargent all three games. So when you get to that Honduras game, are you looking at PFOC yeah. to start and bringing Pepe off the bench? Are you looking at Pepe to start against Canada, probably not. But is he a guy who comes off the bench there to maybe try to change things? It's, I, I think we're going to see him play. And I, I would not be surprised to see him start a game. Yeah, um, 18 years old, first call up with the senior national team. What a World story, Cup huh? qualifiers. And he could be starting. It's pretty cool, man. Yeah, yeah it's so cool. Um, one other note on him real quick. Um, well, two other notes. One, he, he scored the winning penalty for the MLS All-Stars on Wednesday night in, in LA. He hammered it home off the crossbar and, and in. Noel Guzman was, was talking some trash, but he brushed it off and he scored anyway. Um, but, and this is more important, because he's only 18, uh, because he's under 21, even if he plays in all three of these games, he's not necessarily cap-tied to the U.S. Um, and that is because kind of the FIFA rules they've been changing. A player under the age of 21 is not cap-tied until his fourth appearance in an official competition. So he could still file a one-time switch and later represent Mexico, even if he plays all three of these games. But he would have to wait three years after his last appearance with the U.S. I don't think that's really something that's on the table at this point. Um, he's saying everything he's saying makes it pretty clear that he's committed to the U S and that's that. Um, but 18 year olds have been known to change their minds. Um, so who knows? It's not completely off the table, but it'd be a pretty big stunner at this point. So anyway, we, that's, that's 40 minutes, Paul. That's a lot of talk on the roster. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to talk a little bit about MLS league MX, and then we're going to come back after that and take a few of your questions. Stay with us. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Welcome back to Allocation Disorder. Big, big day in American soccer. Obviously, if you've made it this far, you know we just talked a lot about the U.S. men's national team roster. Let's switch gears a little bit. MLS had an All-Star game on Wednesday night. They played the Liga MX All-Stars, Liga MAX All-Stars. They tied 1-1, and then MLS won in penalty kicks. Ricardo Pepe and Matt Turner, the heroes there in the shootout. Um, Paul, the game was really fun. It was really cool. I really liked the format. Both teams took it seriously. It was pretty competitive with kind of an air of, you know, lightness around it at the same time. The skills competition was fun on Tuesday night. Um, It was a cool spectacle. I hope they do this format again. But getting past all of that and kind of looking big picture here, anytime MLS and League MX get together, there's a discussion of what is this relationship exactly? And we got a little bit more clarity there 
this week. Uh, Don Garber said on FS1 on the broadcast that there isn't going to be a full merger probably ever. Um, and he was like, we think we can get the benefits of a merger without having to jump through all of the logistical hoops of actually doing one and setting up a joint league and working through the structure and working with the players unions and making the money equal and all of that noise. Um, so probably that means future all-star games. That definitely means an expanded leagues cup. That's already on the agenda. And that means more and more emphasis on the Campionius Cup and who knows, maybe some other competitions that don't even exist yet as well. But I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts quickly here about the relationship between MLS and the MX, where you think it's headed, what you think the purpose of it is, and what you think the benefits and maybe even drawbacks of it are. I think, um, first of all, I don't know if this will be out by the time our podcast drops, but our colleague Felipe Cardenas, who was in LA for the All-Star Game, has a great story coming um, that indicates where that partnership already is. Um you know, he spoke to multiple Liga MX owners um, while he was in L.A., and um, one of them, Alejandro Iraragorri, who owns Orlegi Sports, which owns both Santos and Atlas, um, told Felipe about a dinner that took place between the Liga MX owners who were in L.A. and the MLS owners who were in L.A. for Board of Governors, um, and they all sat down and had dinner together. And at that dinner, they were exchanging ideas and talking about best practices and going through their experiences and, and I'm sure, you know, trading war stories, trading ideas about how they could grow competition, all of those things. And, you know, it was an informal dinner, but it wasn't right. It was building relationships. And that's what, that's what we're going to see more of, um, between these leagues, you know, trying to, put more eyeballs on both the leagues. And I, and that's the real reason that they're doing this is Mexico Liga Mekis owners. They know that they have a massive audience in the United States and they haven't developed this market commercially to match that market yet. And so they want to develop this market commercially and they, they see MLS as a really strong and smart business partner that can help them do that, help them accomplish it. Um, and so it makes a ton of sense from that side, from the MLS side, they want that audience that Liga MX, Liga MX has already. They want, um, to, to pull bigger numbers on TV. They want that, um, Latino audience, the Latin audience that, that watches soccer regularly, that are diehard fans, but are also tuning into broadcast. And they want to create more games that they can put into their domestic TV package that pulls in those big numbers that are going to tune in for Liga MX teams. So there are real business reasons there as well. But Sam, I I really agreed with Brian Strauss's column that he wrote for Sports Illustrated the other day, which is at some point, man, if you want to start pulling in those that audience, if you want people to start paying attention to your product and taking it seriously and converting to become MLS fans, you got to start mm-hmm. being more competitive. It's got to become, yeah. you know, the parity that you strive for so strongly in your own league has to start to exist in the competition against Mexico if you're going to make it a big part of who you are. And that that parity doesn't no, no. exist right now. It doesn't. But the balance is shifting slowly, very slowly. slowly. But that's the story of MLS, right? Slow, slow growth. And I think it's important in this discussion in particular to to really take a long view, right? And and you and I, and certainly me, I've gotten caught up in this many times. Um, But it's looking at the results from the last year or two or three and not thinking about what they're going to be in 10, Right. And I think in 10 years, you'll see probably pretty decent parity between those between the two leagues. And I think then the idea is what you just said, right? To have both leagues tap into an untapped market for them that exists here in the United States, right? And I think 
it's a good thing for both MLS and for League MX. I think we'll continue to see more of these relation this relationship grow and further develop. I think we'll probably see some some partnerships on the business side. We'll probably see more distribution maybe of the two of of MLS in Mexico in terms of broadcast stuff. We might see more distribution of League MX in the states, although that distribution's already pretty pretty heavy. Maybe you'll see a more formalized centralized one because it's a kind of all of a mess and it's a team by team thing. Maybe they'll copy some of the MLS business model down south of the border. We'll see. Um, but I think from a long-term perspective, everything that the two leagues are doing makes a lot of sense. And I think we'll only continue to see it grow. I think it's going to make a lot of money. I think there's a lot of value that is going to be added. You know, Don Garber said on, on the FS1 broadcast last night, you know, I think the phrase was, yeah, it adds a lot of value for our fans and for our owners and ultimately for our players. And really the only thing that matters in that sentence is for our owners. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it doesn't add it doesn't add value for the owners if it doesn't add it for the fans, right? So um, yeah, I think we'll just continue to see more of this. And I think from taking that long view, yes, creating more of a level playing field in terms of results is very important creating more of a level playing field in terms of overall roster spending is important to that. But I think MLS will get there eventually. And I think this, this will only kind of continue to take off in the long term. I think this could also be a solution to a problem that's starting to come up with, with major league soccer. And this would have to involve the MLS PA because it's a collectively bargained part of MLS right now, which is the off season, the length of the off season. Um, it's such a long off season. It's so different than the rest of the world. And it is problematic. Um, I think to have players out for, you know, two and a half, three months without games. Um, and we've had extended off seasons because of COVID and you have to acknowledge that. But part yeah. of the reason is because of playoffs, right? If you don't make the playoffs, then the players seasons who are ending in late October and then they don't play again until March, that's a problem. That's four months with no games. And there isn't an easy solution because of the weather in the United States. You can't play through the winter and Toronto, or not just the United States, but Canada, Toronto, Montreal, Minnesota, Chicago, New York, even it gets tough. All that being said, I think there is the possibility to have a leagues cup type of competition that gets built in. And maybe it's just built in for the teams that don't make the playoffs. Maybe there's a way to stagger it where, you know, you come into the competition after getting knocked out of the playoffs or something like that. Or, or maybe it's a competition that happens post MLS cup. That's in one centralized location like Orlando or Miami or in yep. multiple southern locations. But that Vegas, LA. Yeah, that wherever. keeps yeah. these games, keeps competitive games happening for major league soccer players through the end of the year. And then maybe you take a winter break in January, you come back for preseason in February, and you start playing in mid-March or something like that. Maybe it's a season kickoff thing, Paul. Right? I, whatever it is, they have to find a way to to shorten the offseason, I think, in the long term. I think it'll be better for the league if that happens because already national teams complain about it. Not just the it's not just the US national not just team national that matters teams. anymore. It's it's coaches yeah. around MLS that complain about it. It's players that but complain you, about it. They you want to develop what and play you don't more too. want is you don't want players looking at MLS and saying, well I can't go there because my national team coach says we can't afford for you to have a four month off season if you want to stay a part of this national team program. Or players that look at that off season and say there's no way I want to do that. You know, you're talking about a significant amount of time that's lost, of games that are lost if you're a young developing player and if this league keeps getting younger. It's 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 an area that needs to get fixed and this is an easy way or a potential solution. And that's what another positive that I think could come out of this partnership. 
Yeah, no, for sure. Um, we're going to take another quick break here and come back with a few of your questions. You guys had some good ones. We haven't done a Q&A in a while, so we'll take a few of those and then we'll get out of here for the week. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Welcome back to Allocation Disorder. Final segment of this week's show. We are going to do a little rapid fire QA because we got to get off and stop recording so we can go talk to Greg Berhalter and ask him all those tough, hard hitting questions about Tim Ream and Luca De La Torre that you've been screaming at us about. Uh, Paul, really quickly, let's just, let's just lightning round this bad boy. First question from at Yaz Nasty. That's right. Guy Fieri was born in Columbus, Ohio. Who do we need to talk to about getting him to invest in the crew? That is, that's a great question. Yeah, I mean, I think, look, it's time to send some emails to Tim Bezbachenko and just be like, what are you doing, bro? Yeah, you can't I'll have, tweet a guy. You can't maybe. have you can't have the crew and not have Guy Fieri be a part of the crew, you know? Yeah, I mean, God, imagine. Imagine the cuisine at Lower.com Field if Guy got involved. Be incredible. Um, moving on. Next question. I like this one. This is from Mark Lentz. Over under 2026 and a half. So... Mid midway through 2026, MLS ditches Gam, Tam, Flan, Pan, etc., and just goes with a much more straightforward and forgiving salary cap floor and structure. I think that happens before 2026, after 2026. I think ever. I think that I would say before 2026, you'll see Tam ditched, but you'll never see Gam ditched because Gam provides a solution for internal sales. In MLS, and in, mm-hmm. unless they find another solution for internal sales, Gam will be there as a as an asset that can be traded for players. Um, I don't think you'll see Tam ditched before then either. It's already accounted for through twenty twenty seven, right, in the CBA. So 
I don't think that's going anywhere. I think MLS will always have an element of that stuff. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I just think kind of the buckets, right? With DPs and young money, like just let let them spend how they want. You can make it a little simpler while still having some of those mechanisms. Paul, you got a question for me? I do. I got one from Jared Sports here. Jared asks, is it a feasible feasible strategy for a club to trade all of its international slots each year for money, about an extra $1 million in GAM, and use that money to acquire distressed assets, draft picks, homegrowns, and MLS use, um, or to use young money to acquire rising domestic players? Think of it as the Rapids way on steroids. We are in the weeds here, Jared, but I like this question. Is it feasible? Probably not. Um, but I, I would like to see someone try it. It'd be cool. Uh, I mean, the Rapids aren't that far from this. They're really not, you know, like I think of their top 16 guys in minutes played 13 of them were either homegrowns, uh, acquired via trade, uh, drafted or Americans with previous experience with the national team or an MLS that were signed as free agents. They only had three guys come from international with zero prior in MLS, MLS. So they're kind of already there. Um, I don't know if the, if anyone will ever do it more than they have. Nashville is kind of along those lines too. DC United is somewhat along those lines as well. Um, but I can't really see teams that have money to spend on designated players, <laughs> not using that money. And I can't really see even teams like Colorado further leaning into that direction than they already have. I just, you know, at a certain point you need to fill out a roster and it's just hard to do that with that many domestic players, you know? So I don't know. That's yeah, uh, it's tough. It's tough. I like the fun. idea. I mean, he did account for the idea of using young money to acquire domestic players, because I was going to say, you also don't want to miss out on three spots of $200,000 cap hits where you can sign um, players, top players. But yeah, you're right. You could go get them domestically. Yeah, I, but it, how are you going to get those guys? The, the Teams is, don't want to trade those guys. The problem is, yeah, well, that's the, that's the one thing. And the other yeah. thing is too, there are a lot easier ways to make a million dollars in GAM. And you could just sell one player for more than a million dollars and you have a million in GAM and you don't have to trade away all of your international roster spots every single year. So there are other ways to do it. It's a cool concept. It's a cool way of thinking about like if you don't have an owner who wants to spend. But I, I don't think I think you're always have a use for one or two international slots. For sure. Um this one comes from Will Parker. He says, I know you that you both often talk about growth in markets, but are there any markets that you think have already maximized their potential or on an, a near eternal downtrend? Oh my God. It's harsh. Look, we Paul, are if you, negative... wanna, if you wanna really take a dump on a city, this is your chance. Yeah, okay? we are a really negative um podcast, but that was uh, that's for, even for us might be too negative. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I actually think the team that's maximized its market to like the top of top of what it's going to get out of the market is Toronto. And I don't think that means that they're like, why? I don't think that means that they're on like an eternal down spiral. But like, I think that when they had that team was amazing. They sold out their stadium every single week, sell out crowds, awesome crowds, by the way, amazing environments. They expanded the stadium to add more people. They sold that out. I mean, it's not like they're not going to build a 60,000 seat stadium there. It's a great location. It's not just is. the attendance, though. But it's I, how relevant you are, how many people are watching on I guess, TV, I how guess, much of a thing you are in the city. I don't know. I mean, I think that they maybe, I mean, maybe that's the wrong way to think about it as far as maxed out. Um, but I just feel like they, I think what we saw from them is like pretty close to the best that they're going to get there. You know, relevant in the market. You know, I don't live in Toronto. Maybe they could have been more relevant in media coverage. But I think when I'm there for games, like you turn on TSN, yeah. like there are MLS highlights on this 
the sports center top 10 and stuff like it's it's more relevant than it is here in the united states for sure um i i just felt like that was like the peak of like a really good mls team that had real relevance in the market that had sellouts you know every week the atmospheres were awesome and the team was was a penalty kick short of champions league winners like yeah. that's pretty darn close to maxing out what you can do as an mls team well i i you're not wrong about that but there, there's always room for growth like that's the beauty of sports that's the beauty of of soccer in the u.s and canada in particular is that this the the bet is that this thing's going to take off yeah. right i definitely don't and think it's only downhill from here by the way definitely do yeah. not think that i think i think when you look at a market like kansas city you probably have some elements there and that's like that's a credit to kansas city portland probably similar right like smaller cities, um, certainly a lot smaller than Toronto, that do really, really well, right? And so how much room is there for them to grow? There's still room, but not as much room as New York City or Chicago or Houston or Dallas or so on and so forth. Um, but yeah, I think I think I don't think there's a single market that you can say uh falls into that category, in my opinion. All right, Sam. Um when do you think LAFC this is from Scott, Scott H two. When do you think LAFC will start hmm. selling? They have a ton of young players, they've acquired if you had to sell anyone, would have thought maybe Rossi or Atuesta or both would be gone, but it doesn't look likely in this window. Thought. What do you think? Yeah. Um, I think LAFC is going to be under a massive, massive change this winter. Massive. I don't. I, I would be surprised at this point if Bob Bradley is back next year. Um, that can change, right? I'm not saying he's going to leave for sure, but I would be a little surprised if he was back. Carlos Vela, uh, I think I would be surprised if he was back. Um, and they're going to have to get some of these young guys off the books. Uh, I think starting with Brian Rodriguez, who, you know, obviously talented, but hasn't been great and we'll see. Uh, so yeah, I think, I think there's going to be a pretty massive overhaul at LAFC this winter, both in terms of the coaching staff and in terms of the roster. Any other things to add on to that, Paul, or what you want to do the last I mean, look, COVID, COVID impacted their sales window. They're going to have to sell these players, but they waited. They want the market to be better. Will it be better in January? Probably not. Probably not no. that much better. So, you no. know, at some point, especially especially with how they've been playing. Um, last one for you, and this is this, I saved this one for last because it's an alley oop for you, Paul. What is preventing teams in in the league from keeping an updated roster status page? It's really annoying for fans to who like to follow that kind of thing. Is it too much to ask to just keep the pages updated? That is from Medfiz Ten, and no, I did not have a burner account called Medfiz Ten. That's a real account. As far as I yeah, know. Maybe, no, maybe it's Paul's burner. There's there's nothing stopping them. You nothing. Know, there's nothing. And and, and the roster pages the ra- are some of the most valuable pages for us because it's like uh, but we don't get not, that much. They're not correct. Yeah, they're, they're not, not right. correct. They're not correct. Guys get signed. They they just they just need to be better at it. They need to be better at it. And it, it was better than it was before. I mean, remember they created that list when Tam first came out of players who were signing Tam, and then like it didn't get updated for three years. And I was like, okay, well, that's useless. I mean, we still don't know who, who has Tam used on them and not. There's just so much we don't know about the league. I complain about it all the time. I've been told I complain about the same things on the show too often. So I'm not going to go on a rant about it, but, <laughs> um, you know, I think, uh, I think that the league can certainly do better in kind of the information that they provide to the public. Um, for sure. We've beaten that drum into the ground a million times anyway thank you for listening to allocation disorder the next show we are going to be doing is going to be from el salvador that is crazy coming at you in a week with that one thanks for listening uh we'll be back next week from from estadio cuscatlan butchered that anyway this episode brought to you by duolingo thanks thanks